Happy Easter, everybody, and welcome to Live Courageously, podcast show number 14 of 2023. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is the 30th Live Courageously podcast show since I started the show a year ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three plus years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, and it's been an unconscious theme for most of my life. If you haven't seen the previous 29 podcasts with some of my amazing, courageous friends sharing their powerful stories of overcoming all odds, going on to live powerful lives and making a difference in the world, you can watch them on my John Duffy Live Courageously YouTube channel. And I have another 75 plus friends planned to be guests on my future shows. So please subscribe to my Live Courageously YouTube channel at Duff SQ Film and keep coming back every Sunday at 2 p.m. So why do I say live courageously? Because fear is a reaction, but courage is a choice. And I suggest that you consciously choose courage and you choose faith over fear every time you experience fear in your life. Choosing courage will help you deal with whatever life may throw at you in the future. And it will throw stuff at us that we don't like or want. Today, my friend and guest is Elvis Elvis Leon, and uh, welcome, Elvis, and thank you for being part of the show today. Uh, we got any audio here? Up? Oh, no, no audio for my. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Happy, happy Easter, John, and thanks for having me. Hey, well, welcome, and happy Easter to you, and and thanks for being part of it. Oh, I'm gonna jump back. Well, you're here. I just kind of did a little bit of a. Uh, a pivot in, the, in a direction that I normally don't do, but so I'm going to keep you on camera and I'm going to introduce you. So, uh, which I was going to do before I brought you on, but this is welcome to live uh, podcasting. So Elvis is a filmmaker living in Los Angeles. He's traveled 120,000 miles during the pandemic uh, all around the world three times. And now he's just trying to stay alive long enough to tell the tale. Before this, he, he had deployed to Iraq as a soldier for 15 months and he returned with stories ready for the screen. He's been filmmaking ever since. Elvis has produced and directed many short films. One of his films screened at the GI Film Festival in Washington, DC, and his last project, last project, Cecil and Call, screened at 50 international film festivals, including New Orleans and Toronto, and won 10 awards for the best documentary and audience award categories. He's now working on his first feature documentary, we are lions, somos leones, about the kidnapping of his father and the family's pursuit of justice. You can follow Elvis's YouTube channel, Long Live Elvis, I love that title, to hear stories about his travels, his current events, making movies, and check out his GoFundMe page, which I'll put up uh, later as well, to support his new feature documentary, Somos Leones. So now welcome uh, to my brother Elvis. Uh, welcome to the show, brother. It's good to be back. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, you know, I always start off the show with two things. And so I'm going to start with one and which the first one is I always ask people since most of the guests, with the exception of one so far, have been people I know in the real world and been friends in the real world. So how did me and you meet? You know, what was uh, the way we first uh, came across each other? We met at the roulette tables in Washington, D.C. At, at the GI Film Festival. No, uh, we met at the film festival and uh, I screamed the film Angels of Ambar, which I think we're going to watch today. And we didn't know each other before then. And after the film was done, 
uh, you and George Ohan, a good friend of ours, uh, just approached me. And it turns out that, yeah, George over here looking like a character from The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, George, um, he turned he was stationed in my same duty station in Germany. We had a lot of mutual friends, but he got out before, uh, right when I was coming in. So we never crossed paths. But when my film was speaking about these individuals that I, we served with, um, he was shocked. I was shocked as well, you know, so it was a small world uh, moment in Washington, D.C. that day. It was. And that, and, and that was the, the first time we uh, met. And we were down there with a film that George produced and I directed, which is this uh, film, The Flag, that screened down there at the same time your film screened. And then we went on to uh, hang out uh, with George uh, at his wedding up in Fresno. So mm -hmm. that was the next time we connected and then we connected other times since then. Mm -hmm. But that film that, you know, uh, I'm about to uh, play for the audience, you know, we both we were both uh, moved by it because it was a short film that you had screened based on your experience in, in Iraq. Um, uh, and that kind of, you know, we just felt the power of it. And then we got a chance to meet you and talk to you. And then of course you got that connection with George Ohan, who at one point I'm going to have to have on this show as well. We tried one time and the tech didn't work. So we're going to have to do it again in the future. But uh, mm -hmm. let me, uh, let me go show the audience this film, uh, Angels of Ambar. It's uh, about six minutes. Uh, after it's over, we'll have a chance to talk about it. You'll talk about your experiences in the military, but also making that film and what that experience was like for you. So let me go to that. Um, uh, put that here and share the screen. And <clears throat> see if I can get this up here. I've spoken to God. Well, maybe it spoke to me. The reason I say it is because I don't know who talked to me, if anyone at all. With all the drinking and drugging, it's really hard to say. Whatever or whoever that was, it came to me in the most vivid dream. It happened in Ramadi, Iraq. I believe we were going on our 12th month of the deployment and had five more to go. At the time, our brigade was the hardest hit brigade since Vietnam. Our unit lost some really good guys and I miss them every day. Alts, you showed me the ropes as a brand new private. Thank you. Just, I talked to you a few hours before you got killed. You set the standard for cool, calm and collected. But fuck. Was it tough losing Brooks and Gilbertson? When you guys left, everything changed. Iraq is a motherfucker. It's 120, 130, 140 degrees. Constant stress on your mind, body, and soul. And most of the time, there's no accountability when one of your brothers gets killed. When that IED explosion goes boom, everyone dies and that's it. The enemy is like a ghost. Scarface said it best. I've never seen a man cry until he's seen a man die. He was right, but we had to suck it up and keep moving. The mission was above all, they said. You have one day to grieve and bottle up the rest for later. Iraqis were crying too. Everyone was dying. 
women, babies, my dog, Sandy, everyone. And from the top down, soldiers were even committing suicide. This one high-ranking soldier stopped his convoy, stepped out of his vehicle, and shot himself. Mm. He lost several soldiers under his command. That's when I stopped my daily prayers. I called my mom one day and told her this, and she said, keep the faith. But how? When there's no God or religion in Iraq, that God I heard so much about on Sunday was supposed to swoop down and save us all from the chaos, twisted metal, the IED craters, shield our eyes from all the dismembered bodies that plagued the streets. It was hard to see mangled hummers that came through the gate, the black body bags with your friends that were boarded on helicopters, never to be seen again. Seeing the remains of just his rifle that looked like scrap metal. Death runs this town, not God. Back on up, man. One day we started partying. We had no other choice. Get shit done by day and party at night. We cut deals with Iraqi soldiers in exchange for whiskey, hash, and promethazine. As we said, fuck my life. This became the greeting of the day. Here today, gone tomorrow. So you might as well have fun while you're sitting in your 8x12 cell passing around the hookah. But at your own risk, you could lose it all if caught. One night, I overdid it for sure. Got pretty messed up. My heart was beating super fast. Thought I was going to die. I closed my eyes as my hands lay over my heart. And eventually, I started dreaming. I was laying on a bus bench somewhere in Ramadi. I was alone. There was newspapers scattered all over the area. I was freaking out. The place was a ghost town. All I could hear was the wind. Then out of nowhere, a voice spoke loud and clear. Be carefree, grateful, and everything will be okay. I felt this overwhelming calming effect take over my body and I woke up. It was the next morning. All my pain was gone. A new lease on life. Who was that? I felt a strong connection to him, the earth and humanity like never before. It's been six years since my time in Iraq. Time flies. I didn't know that then, that I would think about my brothers who passed in Iraq every damn day. Was it all a dream, Iraq? The epiphany? Most days I just don't believe any of it ever happened. But ultimately, this has become my spirituality. <clears throat> All right. 
me uh, pop that. Look, we're good. We're good. Yeah, we're good. That was a wild time, man. That was a crazy time. Unbelievable. I still don't believe it happened, to be honest. What, and, what, year, what year was that, Elvis? Uh, that was 2006 to 2007, 15 months. Um, and so t tell us a little bit about what got you to Iraq. What got you into the military? Tell us a little bit of your backstory and then take us into the forward story of like you come back from that experience, which I mean, I don't know about anybody watching it, but for me, the first time I watched it, it was just so, and maybe because it was on a big screen too, but it was just so powerful um, the way you shared that story with, with the audience. And I think the audience felt the same way at the J.I. Film Festival. Um, but take us, take us on that journey. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it was on the heels of 9-11. I signed up in 2003 going into four. And, you know, that was like the first time that uh, I had to be courageous, right, is when I signed on that dotted line that I was going to swear in and and go overseas. I had no idea where I was going to be sent to. And at the, I don't know if my boy Fernando's watching or not. He said he was going to. But uh, he's the one who convinced me to go. And when it was time to go, he ended up not going. And I went by myself. And that was like the first step into like, oh, my God, like I'm really going alone, you know? And that was like, you know, leaving the nest, if you will, for the first time, leaving my home and uh, the country. I ended up getting stationed in Germany, so uh, which was a shocker. First time leaving uh, mainland USA and going to this foreign land and being stationed in this military base that used to be a Nazi uh, German base uh, that was that we ended up confiscating after the war. And so it was like a culture shock just going in, and through this uh, experience. And I landed uh, right. I landed in an empty uh, military installation that should have had 10,000 or so uh, military personnel, but they were already downrange deployed. So uh, my first 24 hours as a soldier, they're like, you're going to Iraq tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, I can't wow. believe it. And turns out, you know, that that tomorrow came, they had like 20 of us lined up. Uh, Sergeant with the clipboard just walked and was like, everyone is going to Iraq except you and you. And it, and it was me. So I ended up staying in Germany for like another year and a half, two years um, before I, I actually got the opportunity to deploy. And that was in 2006. Um, we ended up uh, going to Kuwait. We were in Kuwait for like two months, getting acclimated to the weather, um, going through drills and all kinds of training exercises. And we still didn't know exactly where we were going to land in Iraq. So uh, every day we were getting updates, like where we could potentially go. And we all had our theories. And this was like the hottest time of the war. You know, um, Saddam had recently gotten arrested and um, his trial was about to happen. And that's kind of when we're in country. So there's just a lot of turmoil uh, in the streets right now. And so when we finally got the orders to go to Ramadi, Iraq, I remember it was like you can hear a pin drop because everyone thought that was like a death sentence because that was like the hottest uh, fighting um, that was going on at the time was the Sunni Triangle and Ramadi and Baghdad. And um, yeah, and so everyone was like, wow, we're in it for we're in this for reals this time, you know, and 
And I remember my first day on mission, actually, it was like a welcome to Iraq. Uh, mission number one, um, as soon as I, we left the gate, there was just uh, remnants of a vehicular born IED that just was that left death and destruction scattered. And that was like day one. We saw nothing but like dead bodies, you know, and, and I was like, wow, like we're not going to make it, you know, and and then, yeah, and the the rest of the 15 months, you know, there was a lot of uh, highs, you know, a lot of good times that I that I remember. Um, obviously, when you're in such a um, dangerous and chaotic and uh, very unique uh, life experience that not too many people get to uh, see uh, a war torn country, it, it is kind of like being in a, a in a nightmare or a dreamland because you're just walking amongst rubble sometimes where like there was just apartment buildings with holes in them and bullet holes in them and uh craters everywhere as i mentioned in the film like we always joke like the place looked like the moon you know uh and we would drive sometimes uh at night because we we had to um uh, drive with no headlights on because we didn't want to you know get attacked and, and these kind of things uh while in the middle of, i was in logistics just to, to say like we were delivering fuel ammunition and water to the front lines and to the rear so we would convoy seven days a week uh sometimes two three times a day just to um make sure that everybody uh in the front line was uh had everything they needed to to execute the mission um but yeah i mean i could talk about the war like all, all day but like where do well, you want to just out? jump in for a, a yeah. second just say you know i mean i think one of the things i know for me um as a civilian you know having been involved with a lot of stuff with veterans is just i think most of us civilians don't really know what that reality is and your film in six minutes just captured a, a, so much of it because it was just you went through such a journey you know, and then the trauma of losing your fellow uh, uh, soldiers and then dealing with, you know, um, you know, feeling that, you know, that you were in a basically God forsaken place. And how were you going to survive and all that? You take us through that that emotional journey and the trauma that you experienced and that, you know, for uh, civilians that given that only one percent of the people are in the military, most people don't have a clue about what that life is. And I think your film captured it. Real well. When did you join the mil? What? How old were you? And did you sign up for four years when you when you came in? And did, were you living? Where were you living when you uh, uh, joined the military? I was living in Denver. I just had graduated high school. I saw a recruiter right when I was eighteen, and I left when I was nineteen. Uh, wow. That was uh, April of two thousand four. Uh, is when I left. April Fools. <laughs> April first, <laughs> and, and then. Uh, that day when when the drill sergeants picked us up, I was like, this has to be a joke. Like we just got ambushed by like eight drill sergeants that just, um, you know, broke us down into dust, you know, for the next oh. six months before I ended up shipping out. But, yeah, that's a whole nother story. Um, yeah, no. there's a bunch of stories. And obviously, yeah. you know, like you said, uh, all the experiences in Iraq, I think, you know, part of it and maybe you just want to address. I don't know how much it affected you. But obviously, the emotional uh, impact of you know losing your your fellow soldiers, the emotional impact yeah. of being in that situation where you don't know if you're going to live or die every single day that you're awake, right? So, you know, it has to have an emotional impact on you. So, coming back, you know, wh where were you at emotionally? Where were you at 
psychologically when you got back from that experience and having, you know, survived at least physically through it, um, you know, where were you? Yeah. Um, lost. Uh, you know, I was like in a dreamlike state for a long time, just because going from such an extreme environment to back to the U.S. where everything is polished and beautiful and there's giant shopping malls and bright lights everywhere. And and you're like, wait, was I really there? Like, did I just see this, you know? And so that transition from seeing like the most extreme version of a human, you know, a human experience at, at like war and coming back to a peaceful like uh, area is, is, is shocking, actually. Mm. And and um, dealing with survivor's guilt as well, just because like, uh, you know, a lot of my friends who, who died, you know, they had families, they had kids and, mm. and, you know, me being like a single person, I was like, why well, I, I would gladly trade my life for the, these people to, to come back and be with their their family. So so that's another uh, difficult part. Um, and then, you know, coming home and at least at the time, you know, the VA, you know, the Veteran Affairs Hospital that's supposed to take care of veterans, it has gotten a lot better over the years. But when we first got out, I think there were so many uh, soldiers getting out that uh, just like services uh, were lacking, you know. And so a lot of people ended up um, self-medicating, you know, living on the streets. And uh, and then I started losing friends uh you know, that were out as civilians because they were unable to uh, just live with with uh, what they had to experience over there, you know, and I just lost one of my brothers, uh, Ryan Talbot, last year, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I think a lot about him because he, he never, I don't know, he, all, he uh, we all left a piece of ourselves, you know, over there, but I feel like he was um, still chasing uh, that or maybe he wanted to go back to that type of environment to try to find himself again. And when the war in Ukraine broke out, he actually went over there, you know? Wow. And while everybody was changing their, you know, Facebook profile photo to have the Ukraine flag, he actually went, you know, and and fought under some, you know, pretty horrendous um, just situations. He, we, you know, we were contacting each other through, you know, Telegram and, and Signal. And uh, anyways, you know, he came back home and, and I think that that betrayal that that we felt when we first came back from Iraq with not having services and uh, us putting our, you know, body, souls and minds on the line and then just no one even caring, you know, about about you, essentially. Then that's, you know, it, it's true and it's not, you know, a lot of people do support uh, the soldiers, but, you know, I, I'm not quite convinced when you see so many, you know, homeless veterans and, and that statistic of 22 veterans you know committing suicide a day so for, to me um you know it's it just there's there's a there's a misconnecting there's not uh misconnecting i can't speak something yeah. not connecting there you know for me so when my brother came back and you know maybe he expected some kind of support because he actually went to go to ukraine to, to fight and he came home to eviction notices and you know all kinds of troubles at home and then he ended up you know taking his life he, and so yeah uh, rest in peace right but yeah may he rest in peace yeah you know um that was it i, I mean it, it, clearly we could do 
a couple of hours just on your experience alone and on this and, and these issues. And so the, the challenge is because you, you go on to do so much more. And then you got another incredible story that I want to get to and share with everyone. So, you know, I, I, it's almost like I don't want to uh, cut this short because there's so much um, power here and there's so much you got to say. So, you know, we'll have to do some more another time again. Sure. sure. Yeah. But when you came back and you dealt with all this and, uh, you know, you pivoted or you found a way to become a filmmaker. And obviously we just watched one of the films that you created. What, what got you to do that? What was, uh, um, why did you make that choice and go down that road and then get your film in the GI Film Festival and then all those other films, uh, festivals that you got your other films into? Why did Elvis go into uh, uh, telling these stories in film? Um, you know, partially it was an accident, to be honest. Um, I didn't even know film schools existed. And when I came home, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I knew that I had a, the GI Bill. I knew that I, I got out of the military to you know go back to college because I had uh, it didn't work out when I first uh, before I left. So I'm like, all right, well, let me give it a shot this time. And, uh, you know, I was going through a lot of turmoil. I didn't really know how to deal with it. And I wasn't getting any help from. Uh, the VA. And I don't know, um, I started like reading about just maybe having some type of outlet to express yourself because I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to play an instrument. I didn't know how to sketch. I didn't really have any uh, artistic ability. So uh, everything just kind of kept bottled in. So when the film school thing uh, popped up, it just seemed like a natural fit. And, uh, you know, I'm from Los Angeles originally. So, I, you know, I grew up, you know, watching movies my whole life. And so it was an opportunity to maybe kind of uh, vent a little bit and get some of these stories, uh, you know, out of my system. And and then, yeah, you know, I graduated from film school, got my undergrad and, uh, you know, my film school was amazing. The Colorado Film School, to be exact. Um, they're really hands on. So you you make several short films just in your first semester of, of college. And, and that was amazing. So I, I left with like probably like a good four really solid short films that all went to festivals. So I got to thank my film school for encouraging us, giving us the equipment and, and the skills to do that. But um, yeah, right out of film school, I had a nice little run, you know, with uh, four, four or five short films. Um, I was pretty active doing like, you know, music videos and uh, random, you know, business promotional videos and, and stuff like that. And, and then, yeah, I ended up um, getting an opportunity to uh, live in London. Um, so in like 2015, late 2015, 2016, I ended up going to London and uh, continuing uh, being a freelance filmmaker, or at least chasing these dreams, you know? And uh, I think that's the other part that, you know, uh, as a filmmaker, you have to be uh, courageous because it's so... Uh, you have to be very fluid as well, right? Because nothing is, is secure in this industry, but uh, we, we do these things because we love to do it, right? And we got to tell these stories, so. Well, what, what, what was it like uh, with the uh, getting uh, Angels of Ambar and, and attending the GI Film Festival, which, mm. you know, for me, I attended it two years in a row in DC. Nice. And I just thought it was one of the most powerful film, film festivals because it had all these uh, military people and veterans sharing you know, stories that were more heartfelt, yeah. that touched you on an emotional level and took you on an emotional journey. So I just thought it was one of the best film festivals I ever attended. So what was that like for you to uh, be there uh, amongst other veterans with your film 
and connecting with people who were all trying to tell stories from their lives. Yeah, no, incredible event for sure. Um, yeah, I I submitted. Uh, so I, I did this this uh, workshop. It was like a storytelling workshop. It's a three day, eight hour, a full three day um, workshop where you tell a story only you can tell uh, and you bring your own imagery. And uh, the, that was the prompt, a story only you can tell. So I started writing about this Iraq story, which and looking back at it now, it was my short, my first short film and my first introduction to shooting videos. Like we were the first generation to have these pocket cameras and the uh, iPhone, the first iPhones and iPods and stuff. So uh, this was like the first time that the soldiers had uh, tools to document war, you know. And so I think a, a lot of footage was coming back from from um, you know our era of of. Uh, uh, Iraq uh, veterans and um, but yeah going to the GI film festival was, was awesome man um, I got to meet you I got to see a lot of great stories from every era of uh, American history um, and yeah and I remember I was, I was saying that we met at the roulette table because they had that Casablanca night remember and they had like That's the right. roulette table and uh, you know, it's funny cool I forgot party. that for a minute when you mentioned that I was like really and now, and then you triggered my memory. I was like, "Yeah, that's right, that's right." Yeah, the Casablanca party—that was a good party. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, but no, man, um, it was, uh, you know, an honor to to be at that festival. I haven't been back since, you know. But they have screened my my short a couple times. I, I think at the San Diego. Um, yeah, festival. now it's just in San Diego, and there's one coming up um, May fifteenth, I think, to the twenty first. I'm I'm probably gonna go down there on the nineteenth because they a film that a uh, short film that was made over at post 43 American Legion. Uh, I got a chance. I was asked to act in it and it was about nice. the zombies attacking post 43. So it's a comedy and it's uh, so I'm going to go down and check it out down and hang out with some of the folks down there at the uh, GI film festival. Uh, but you know, the, the other thing, since we got to say, hold on. Are they speaking of you being an actor? I love that photo in the background. You with the, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's when it started out for me when I was like, I, all my there, I played a hired killer, um, and basically I was hired to kill homeless people uh, for this guy who was trying to gentrify a neighborhood. And of course, yeah. I ended up getting I ended up getting killed and dropped into uh, you know some uh, manure from a, a porta potty. So it was a kind awesome. of fun, a fun role. But um, awesome. yeah, that, that was my journey in, on the acting side. But just to take a go forward because I want to get to uh, some time, really spend some time on this documentary that you're uh, working and have been working so hard on. But before I jump to that, um, you, you went during the pandemic, you traveled all over the world three times. I mean, that's pretty amazing, impressive. Tell us a little bit about that. And I know there's not enough time to cover all the places you went and every what you experienced, but give us the, the short version of all that. Cause that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I never in my life intended to travel that much. It was something that happened out of necessity. It was like a, a gut instinct of, if you don't do this right now, like you're you're gonna regret it uh, forever, you know. And I was going through another tough period because of what's what we're about to see with my documentary. So, it was another moment of of feeling lost um, and like I didn't belong anywhere, um, just because um, you know we'll get into the details, but. 
um, my, my, my film has a lot to do with dealing with the justice system. And, oh, wait, are you still there? Did I lose you? I'm here. I'm just yeah. giving you a full camera. I'm just giving oh, okay. you a full camera. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just dealing with the justice system and that being, a, you know, a David versus Goliath story. And it, it broke me, you know, and it was a several years of going through the most intense period uh, of my life uh, that uh, is equivalent to me going to war. It felt like going on another deployment. So I was a broken man. I'm not going to lie. And I essentially just escaped and I ran away uh, looking for home, looking for a place where I belonged. And I was self-isolating at the end of 2019 before the rest of the world did in 2020. So by the time that um, the pandemic hit, I was already dealing with, you know, sim more symptoms of PTSD compounded with everything new that was happening where, I, you know, I, I kind of had a death wish. I'm not going to lie. So me, me traveling during the pandemic and, and, uh, and maybe not making it, I was okay with that. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was scared, of course, you know, and a lot of people always uh, were, were following me and asking like, oh my God, I, I could never do what you do. Uh, aren't you scared? And I was like, heck, heck yeah, heck yeah, I was scared. But I was conquering fears as well, you know? And in, in, even in these travels, I went to the places that I feared the most because I was feeling so dead inside that I was only connecting with fear. So I, like fear made me feel alive still, you know? So it was a weird relationship that I had. And um, where my journey first started was going to Guatemala where my father was kidnapped. This is like a, a blacklist no-go zone for me. You know? And this, this is the... Um... We'll be uh, showing this after. This is uh, the story right here that's up on the screen. Um, and that, you know, that's the story. And we'll get into that in a minute, but keep going. So you went to Guatemala where your your uh, father was kidnapped. And that's just right there. You just kind of like quickly put that out. But that's huge, man. That's like, you, you know, you're dealing with all this other stuff, like you said. And now you got this horrible situation that has now yeah. uh, arose in your life. And we'll play the trailer in a minute, but keep going before I do. Um, but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll skip around so we'll, we can get into the Guatemala stuff in a bit. But my that's where my traveling started. I went to the place I was scared of the most. And I was there for 30 days. And I wanted to better understand this place where I'm also from uh, ancestrally. My, my father's Guatemalan. My mother's from Mexico. I was born in Los Angeles. But um, so it was also a journey of uh, reconnecting with my roots and just trying to better understand uh, this country that uh, almost took my father's life, you know, and but why don't, we, ahead. why don't we stop there for a second and let me play the, 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 um, the GoFundMe and let people see what the story is and then you can come back and you can take for us sure. deep. So this is the GoFundMe page, um, and I'm going to give us a full screen so we can watch it. Hello, my name is Elvis, and I'm working on a documentary about my father's kidnapping called We Are Lions. Algo que hace tu papá es que se me hace muy peligroso es que 
anda de noche uh, espiando a esta gente. I have a story to tell. All of this still feels like a dream. The kidnapping, the trial, the death threats, the hurricane. Unprecedented tropical rains and catastrophic flooding. I almost die in the process. And my dad almost dies twice. There's a social justice element to this. There is uh, an injustice that was done, right? That needs to be corrected, needs to be addressed. And I hope that this film can actually put a spotlight on these serious subjects that are happening in our communities that are really being overlooked. De que mi mamá muriera, yo siempre pensaba en mi mamá y cuando muere también, ¿va? Y después de que me secuestraron, ellos agarraron el primer lugar en mi vida, el pensamiento, porque despierto pensando es maldito. True crime is one of the hottest genres right now, and we're never hearing from the victim side of things. It's rare. Like, it's all about the glorification of these serial killers that became famous. And I just want to tell the story of a common man from our community that went through this horrific experience that happens to be my father. So this is also a story of just a father and son going on this wild journey uh, together. And that's something that a lot of people can connect with. So I think I got a lot of great pieces and I can't wait for you to see some of it. I've been working on this project for over seven years and I have hundreds of hours of footage. I probably have at least two films in the can right now. Production is wrapped and now I'm seeking funds to hire an editor, a story editor, so we can take this thing to the next level. There's for sure a diamond in the rough here. And if you agree, if you connect with the material, please reach out. Please think about supporting this uh, financially. And if you can't, then share it. Or if you have anyone that you think would be interested in working on this, send them our way. So thank you so much for listening. Love you. And thank you. All right. Um, let me. Let me go back. All right. Are we back? Are you I think there? so. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, uh, once again. So you know, t tell us, take us into this story. You know, you said you. You, you started out going to Guatemala uh, when you began your journey, but what was this story about your dad being kidnapped? And take us through that and then the documentary that you're working on that, you know? Yeah, I think, well, first and foremost, uh, well, thank you for showing that. And this is the first time I've shown this publicly. So, um, and some good news um, in Colorado. So let me start. So I mentioned Guatemala a lot in this, but when my father was kidnapped in Guatemala, my family paid a ransom in Denver, Colorado for his release. So someone in Denver organizes kidnapping in Guatemala. So that's what sparked this documentary because I, we, we tried to call contact authorities um, that first 48 hours that we were uh, dealing with these uh, ransom negotiations, trying to get help from uh, the local police, the FBI, Homeland Security, you name it. And uh, no one came to our aid at all. No one even pretended to care. Uh, they thought it was a hoax. They thought my dad was lying. They thought my dad was involved in some narco trafficking. 
So it, it was just another, for me personally, like another slap in the face where like, a, you know, military veteran pays this ransom money and I can't even get, I can't even be taken seriously, you mm. know? So that, so that was, uh, I'm like, wow, like how American do you have to be to get justice? Like, this is a serious crime. This is a, 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 a Colorado crime that got completely overlooked uh, for years. You know, and it wasn't until there was an arrest in Guatemala where the FBI finally started taking us a little seriously. And then that's what the the film will be about. I don't want to give too much away, but, sure. I, I, but I documented five years of uh, police investigation in two different countries. Uh, me and my father traveling back to the scene of the crime, trying to get closure on this thing. And then, as you saw in the trailer, uh, my father starts teetering on vigilanteism because he finds out who actually kidnapped him. And it turns out it was someone he knew. So wow. it's just so it's uh, a wild, wild story. Um, it's the movie that I never wanted to make. You know, um, it's the movie that that um, chose me. And uh, and it's not been a fun process. It's been dangerous. You know, I almost lost my life in this process. My dad almost died on my watch during this process of filmmaking, you know, like he almost died in the kidnapping. And then when we went back, I almost lost him on my watch this time. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't know what, what set me on this, uh, you know, fool's errand, suicide mission, whatever you will. But I felt like it was a story that was important, you know, that outside of my family, just because this was something that affected, uh, us in our community in Denver, like these men live 30 miles from our house in Denver, you know? And um, so, yeah, so it was something that I thought that making this movie was like my way of uh, fighting back, you know, my way of shedding light, you know, on this, this crime that that's has taken place. Uh, but also, you know, it's an examination, you know, of my father, you know, it's a family story, you know, uh, which um, is the heart and soul, I think, of, that, of this story, you know, and, and I can't wait to flesh it out and, and show everybody what I've been working on, because uh, it's a very unique thing to go on this wild journey with your father, you know, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what you-, uh, you, you know, uh, once again, sometimes you wonder in life. You know, you obviously were given skills by going back to school as a filmmaker, and you took advantage of that to tell a very personal story about your time in Iraq. And then, of course, you did not expect to be given this story because it's not a story you wanted or want to live or even have to spend your life telling. You know, it's the last thing you wanted, right? And yet life threw you uh, this uh, horrible situation, and, you know, you got through it, and at the same time, you wanted to make a difference and, and tell the story so it makes a difference in the world. So, I mean, I think that's just the thing where you talk too about courage, the courage of being at war, the courage of dealing with this doesn't mean that you're not afraid, doesn't mean that you don't have fear, but it means that you still move forward to be able to uh, overcome the, the fear and overcome the obstacles, which you clearly did. So this particular documentary, you know, you, you've done over 500 hours of filming. I mean, you've been doing it for five years. But this is obviously um, you put your heart and soul into this to be able to get this story done as well as risking your life. So, you know, um, 
what, where do you go from here? Obviously, you mentioned, oh, you didn't mention, you were about to mention in Denver, there's oh, yeah. a, a magazine that's about to tell your story. So share that if you don't mind as well. Yes. Um, so 5280 Magazine, for those uh, that are from Colorado, it's like the biggest magazine in Denver. Um, and um, they're doing a seven-page cover story of this. So this is the first time the story's going public. So I thought it was a good opportunity to finally try to raise some funds because I've gone the traditional route of applying for grants or uh, going straight to production companies. Some deals uh, got close, um, but because of the um, you know amb ambiguity of how it was going to end and it was an open investigation, a lot of production companies didn't want to touch it until the case was officially closed, uh, which it is now. So now, again, it's the perfect time to finally uh, finish this. And I have tried to personally do it on my own, but I'm just too close to this, the story, to the material. And it, and now it's evident that I need to hire like a professional editor or a team that can help me like flesh out and tell the story, you know, the way it, it needs to be told, you know? So that's why I want to start a crowdfunding campaign. The page is live. Uh, I'm considering the next couple of weeks to be a soft launch, but the magazine releases on May 1st. So I, I will probably ramp up my efforts uh, sometime in May once the, uh, the magazine circulated for a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, that's that's essentially the plan. And um, and then but yeah, I appreciate you sharing that link and, and sharing it with your your followers. Well, yeah, I, and I'll do more. I'll show I'll, I'll share the GoFundMe uh, additionally next week and I'll share it again, obviously, when you when you ramp back up with the uh, article in the magazine. And once again, it's just, you know, uh, we you, you came back into town just recently and we got together. I was going to an event and I invited you to it. And then you and I kind of caught me up on all this. And I just felt like, well, this is a great opportunity to because uh, it's such a powerful story and you put in so much of of your time and effort to tell this story that I just felt like, you know, it'd be great to, to get people to know about it. And if there's any way people can support you, whether it's as editors or a support team or people to help maybe with social media, to promote it out there, to help, you know, get the, uh, the GoFundMe, um, you know, to help you because you've been a one man show and pulling this off and that's not easy. Um, you know, I, I know that for sure, man. So, um, so if anybody is watching and anybody can help, and I'll, I, like I said, I'll push it out more when the article comes out. I'll share the article on social media as well. But, you know, it, it once again, it's like, you know, I didn't get to ask you my second question, but you kind of answered it throughout. But I'll ask it again now. You know, I always ask people, what does it mean to live courageously? And I think anybody watching this show has seen in, in, in your films and in your reality in examples of, of, of living courageously. But I'd love you to just kind of sum that up for you personally, what that means, you know, up until now and going forward in life. What does that mean mm -hmm. to you? Um, carving your own path, uh, following your gut instinct, even though when that decision, you know, can hurt. Um, I, I think uh, for a while there, I lost my my uh, voice and I stopped listening to my gut instinct and I felt like that began to degrade uh, my my mental health um, and my self confidence actually. So uh, this experience I think has put me out of my comfort zone um, and it's put me in a position to conquer 
fears, even though, uh, again, a lot of these, this, this situation I got myself, myself in was very foolish and it could have cost me my life, but, uh, but it was also a cause that I felt worth dying for, you know? Mm. And so I've been following my, my gut instinct ever since, even though maybe it doesn't make sense, but I hope that it's, uh, like a guiding light, you know, that, that'll, you know, take me, you know, further than, than, uh, I have before so i'm still practicing these things as well you know um and it's not again it's not like that i don't feel fear you know i was scared this whole time but it was something that i had to do for sure well i think that's the you know the point is like you know you can feel fear fear is real fear is is not it's a warning it tells you that there's danger there and so you don't want to ignore fear or the message of fear because then you kind of act crazy and you don't realize that there is a real danger in front of you. So recognizing fear is not a, a bad thing. Letting fear um, unmobile, you know, not mo allow you to move forward or, or keep you in a place where you don't go forward. That's where fear becomes a bad thing where, you know, it's like you can acknowledge it and go forward anyway, even though, you know, you know, there's risks and you still take them because it's worth it and you're willing to, uh, you know, uh, plow forward. So that's kind of what I think, the message of the show. That's why I do the show. That's why I bring people, you know, I get a chance to, you know, I, I just say I've been so lucky and blessed that I get to meet and have friends like so many people like yourself who have in different unique ways live courageously and have, you know, found a way to go out there and, and bring their uniqueness to the world. And you're doing it with this. So I really encourage people to, um, you know, whatever way they can support you with this GoFundMe campaign, with helping you with editing, any way that they can support getting this project out in the world i think it'll it'll make a contribution so that's one piece um what else would you you know summing up i mean what are the lessons say you know just to kind of pivot back and then we'll pivot forward again to end the show but in in the three years that you traveled you know you said you went to some dark places guatemala being one of them but then you went elsewhere you went all around the world what was that like um for you and what was that experience to spend three years going around the world uh, three times. Yeah, man, we know, again, there was moments where, well, I traveled in solitude because again, I think I was in this uh, like space where maybe I was punishing myself because mm -hmm. I, I, I almost felt like I exiled myself from society. And in my pursuit of searching for a home or a place I belonged, I just, adopted this nomad life that I never wanted, you know, another thing that I didn't want that just, that just fell in my lap. And if it, that calling was louder than, than anything that was going on at the time. So I just kept pushing and um, I did go to some incredible places, but I, uh, well, my last trip around the world started in Los Angeles. It went, I went from LA to Denver to London, Istanbul, India, Thailand, Japan, back to LA. Literally went around the world. That, that's what I did uh, from um, September to December uh, last year. So, and that's when I just got, I just got back in January. Okay. So, um, so now I'm still on the, on the processing. I'm still processing the last three years and I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, so there, there will be a book down the road of these three years of traveling and all the lessons I learned, but at the end of the day, I think the thing that that uh, aligned my my compass again was just seeing how privileged I was one for being able to travel this much, 
and two, uh, just ha showing gratitude for what I do have because uh, I, I saw and spoke and hung out with a lot of people that were in some extreme, you know, poverty situations um, that made my that dwarfed my my problems, you know. And and these were some of the things that I learned when I went to war that. Uh, I took a lot of things for granted, you know, until you get stripped of everything. Um, so for all, but you forget about these things, you know, these are like some of the rules and lessons that you learn along the way, like showing gratitude for the little things, you know. And uh, if anything, that's what I relearned during these travels was that uh, we have everything that we need, you know, uh, to be happy. It might not seem that way. But uh, when you actually sit back and, and look back, life is good, you know, um, and we just got to be appreciative of what we have, you know. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think that's so uh, powerful and profound, man, because, you know, I think if anything, sometimes we have too much than we need. And like you said, when you kind of get stripped away, you see what that reality is and that we have way more than enough to be happy and grateful for. And, and sometimes when you have too much, it kind of clutters the world that you're living in and you don't realize how much, uh, you, how lucky you are and how grateful you should be because you got all this stuff as if that's what's going to make you happy or grateful when it's really not that is it's, it's the bottom line of being appreciative and, and seeing that, you know, you got your health, you got some opportunities that most of the world don't have an opportunity to do. So we are, we are definitely, um, you know, have all that. So I can't, you know, but support and say it's it's the most important thing is to be grateful, to get up every day and be grateful for what we have, you know, and, and find a way to, to to make it better for others as well, not just for ourselves. So, That's right. You know, so it's not always about us, but it's about what we can give, not just what we can get. Um, so that's been powerful. I want to put up real quick um, your uh, YouTube uh, channel where people can stay in touch with you and just take a quick look at that. Um, and let me see if I can grab that up there. And <clears throat> title, Long Live Elvis. And let's see if I can just put that up there so people can see it. So this is your, your YouTube channel where you put content on. Uh, people go there and subscribe. Check out his videos. This is just a series of some of the stuff that he's done. And, of course, um, you know, we'll get back to some of the other stuff. But go to uh, Long Live Elvis on YouTube. And you can uh, follow uh, the stuff that he's doing in the uh, film and, and media. And all right. So uh, in closing, man, anything, you know, you want to how do people contact you? Anything you want to leave us with uh, any message? I mean, I think you've given us some powerful mm -hmm. messages already with your documentaries, with your life, with your, you know, taking those chances. And, and like you said, you didn't want to go on that journey. But I, you know, I'm, I can only hope that. Uh, that journey makes you stronger because th mm -hmm. there's a lot more that you need to contribute and you're, I've already contributed so much. And I think this documentary is going to be another powerful contribution um, when it gets finished and gets out there. So let me throw it to you and say, uh, how do people contact you? Uh, I'll put up the GoFundMe campaign. You'll put up the GoFundMe campaign, I'm sure. And uh, beyond that, go for it. Yeah. So, well, again, I mean, thanks for having me. Thanks for showing uh, the trailer for the GoFundMe. I mean, that'll link you to um, my website and my YouTube channel. Uh, website is down right now. It'll be up in a couple of days. 
but uh, follow me there in a couple weeks on Facebook, Instagram, all of that stuff. And, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're all just learning. So I'm going through this process for the first time of making a feature film. So just any mentorship or any guidance uh, would be beneficial. Like if you can help, you know, outside of financial, you know, making a contribution, uh, I would appreciate any support whatsoever, even if you just share the page or or just send me a message and say hello, you know. But uh, but yeah, that's it. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. Hey, you, you're welcome, brother. And once again, I'll help push some of this out for you. And if anybody who watches this show, uh, whatever way you can support it, maybe making connections, maybe just sharing it, just whatever whatever way you can help. I think this is a, a, a well-important uh, uh, documentary that you're uh, going to create here. So uh, anything I can do to help, I will do as well. So I'm, you know, thank you, uh, Elvis, for sharing all this. Thank you for all you've done in, in the journey, both in the military, but also in civilian life and with your dad and trying to, to right or wrong and to get people to do the right thing in our country and everything that you're doing there. So I, I appreciate you, man, and I appreciate what you're doing with that. So whatever I can do to help, I will. You have a great one. And uh, thanks a lot for being on the show. Appreciate, brother. appreciate you. All right. Back at you, brother. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the show and you've enjoyed uh, uh, Elvis uh, Leone's powerful and personal film documentary projects, uh, Angels of Ambar, and also his newest one uh, that's being worked on, Somos Leones, uh, We Are Lions. And uh, hopefully uh, you can find a way to uh, follow him, uh, support him, his GoFundMe campaign, and, and do whatever you can to help him. I'd love to get any feedback from uh, anybody who's watched the show on what you enjoyed and any suggestions and how I can improve it and grow the audience for it. And please subscribe. Go to my um, YouTube page. And this is where you can subscribe to uh, my um, uh, YouTube. And so you can follow me and join us every Sunday at 2 p.m. Next week's guest is and my guest and friend is going to be Dr. Lauren Michael Harris. He's the founder of uh, Power of We. He's a podcaster, a military vet, veteran, an author, a speaker, and he's going to be leading a tour, a Legacy of Hope tour to Romania uh, coming up soon to help orphans over there. So he's, he's a great guest. I've been on his podcast show just recently. So hopefully you'll come back and join us uh, next Sunday and every Sunday and meet the great friends that I've been blessed with. And I encourage you to choose to live courageously and make your life a masterpiece. And God bless you until we meet next Sunday.